If you need more information, you can see me or Pastor Ruth or Pastor Angela. There's uh, teens that this will change their lives. And so I encourage you to be praying for our teens, for our kids in the church. God is moving in the house. Do you believe that? So we're going to release our children off to Children's Church. We're going to pray for them. Stretch your hands towards them because they run really fast. So you got to stretch quickly. God, we just thank you for what you're doing in our children. We thank you that you're causing their hearts to be stirred up for the things of the, of the Lord. We ask that you would move in them, that you would cause their faith to come alive. That this summer would be a summer where they're the most fruitful in their life and walk with you. We ask, God, that you would speak to them and encourage them. We ask that you would do signs and wonders and miracles through our children, that they would serve you all the days of their lives. We just bless them in the name of the Lord. And everyone said, amen. Are you ready for the word of the Lord? That didn't sound ready enough. I was thinking about sometimes when we, um, we get really hungry, and then we're like figuring out where you want to go, right? You want to go eat somewhere? How many of you guys ever done that? How many of you guys going to do that after church? And you're really, really hungry. And you want one of everything on the menu. Ever Anyone went to a buffet and filled their plate with more food than they know what to do with? And then you're like, I could possibly never eat this all. And then you eat it all. And then you go get ice cream. It says... To hunger and thirst after righteousness and you'll be filled. I think that there's a position this morning that you need to be hungry for the word of God. So that when you take hold of it, like almost like if you're going to go to the restaurant and you're going to say, I'm going to get that prime rib, you're going to take hold of it, right? Or that lobster and you're going to eat it, right? That's what you have to say, God, I'm coming to your word this morning and I'm going to grab something out of it this morning that I'm going to devour because I want more of you. And you have to take the word like that. It says the word is the bread of life. So think about it. What is it that you're hungry for this morning? What would you like God to speak to you about specifically asking him? So God, we come very hungry for your word this morning. We thank you that your word satisfies us. It satisfies the longing soul. I thank you that your word, it it brings delight. It says taste and see what the the Lord can do. God, we choose to activate our heart and our, and our mind to be hungry for you more than ever before. We thank you for the anointing on Pastor Ruth this morning, that in the giving of the word, you would speak to her, that you would use the gifts upon her this morning, that your Holy Spirit would speak directly to the souls of the people in the church. We just thank you so much, God, for your word. We thank you for your, what your word has to offer us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's word is very personal to me, and so um, I pray that it will encourage you and speak to you. So I, I read about this legend that Satan had an auction. And in this legend, he got rid of a number of tools, uh, so he... He arranged this auction to get rid of these tools. And there was envy and deceit and malice and sensuality and hatred and thoughtlessness and many other tools that Satan had used successfully. And all of these items they sold for a good buy. 
But one piece was marked very high, and it was labeled discouragement. And it, it was asked of him, why do you want so much for this tool? And the enemy says this, the tool, replied the tempter, has always been my most useful one. You see, it has had more wear than the rest. See it? It's used to put a wedge in man's mind when all other means fail. Practically every human being has had this tool used on him. Although very few know it was I who was wielding it. As it worked out, none could afford the price Satan demanded for discouragement. So he is still using it. And I want you to read with me the key verse for this morning. It's found in Deuteronomy 31.8. If you would put that up there. Let's read it together. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. Awesome. Isn't that an incredible verse? I love this verse. So when you're thinking about what is discouragement, what what is it? We think of it as being um, deprived of, of hope or courage or confidence. It's a weapon that's used to hit a mark in all of our lives at one time or another for various reasons. And it's interesting that discouragement shows up in unusual places and often catches us off guard. And we really shouldn't be surprised at this because what is the goal of the enemy? It tells us in John 10.10, what? That he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes. And the tools often, it's interesting, they often hit below the belt, bringing chaos into our lives. You know, When you think of discouragement, what causes discouragement? There's so many things. Sometimes it's uh, decisions that our government makes. Sometimes it's health issues. Maybe it's the loss of a bonus or a job or a loved one. Or maybe it's that you really thought God was going to do one thing and he didn't do it the way you thought, and it caused discouragement. You see... Discouragement can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes of packages. And even the news can bring discouragement. Can you believe that one? Well, this morning, I want to tell you a story of discouragement. It's my story. And the only reason I'm sharing it with you is because I truly believe that God wants to show you something. That he wants you to learn a valuable lesson from it. So, um, it started, my dad passed away in March, and that was, that was real hard. And it it was not long after that, uh, I began to have experience feelings of things I was unfamiliar with. I felt really heavy and really dark, and, um, sometimes I didn't care if I even got up, and I just, I thought... I asked myself lots of questions like, is this depression? Is this what grief looks like? What is this? I don't like it. And I I would tell Mike about it, and I'd say, I I don't like what I'm in. I would ask the Lord about it, and I would would pray about it. And time went on, and it was heavy. And 
I went up for prayer up front after church, and I asked people to pray over me. And things changed it a little bit, but it, it was there. It was present, and I really was uncertain with what to do with it. And one day, Becca stopped by, and um, we were talking, and I kind of just laid it all out. I said, I'm ready to lay it down, quit, be done. I, I don't know what's going on with me. Well, I didn't know it, but she sent out a prayer request on my behalf to all of her praying friends. And they began to pray. And she really prayed, and she checked in with me the next day. And she's like, how are you? And I said, I'm better. I really am. And it would be like I would be better, and then, then I would be low again. And again, I went up front for prayer because I, I believe in prayer, and I believe in God answering it. And I would ask God one day, I was feeling so low, I said, God, just have someone call me and pray over me this morning. And that afternoon, I got a letter from somebody that had a prophetic word in it. And just how God hears and answers. Then time has passed, and, and then this last month in May, we do a Zoom call with other pastors twice a, a month. And I was on the call on a Wednesday morning with these pastors, and a man named Bob Pittman was on, and he lives in Shell Lake, Wisconsin. And he had just got back from Brazil, and he saw incredible, crazy miracles. And he was sharing with us the things that he had experienced, people out of wheelchairs, and he said there was 10 eyes that had been blind that were opened. And I mean, he's just sharing all these crazy miracles. And so the leader of our call asked him to pray over us. So I positioned myself, and I put my hands out like this, and he began to pray over us. And in the middle of his praying, he said a sentence that just pierced my soul. He said this, And forgive us, Lord, for partnering with discouragement. And then he went on. And in that moment, there was something rattling in me, and I realized somehow, some way, I had partnered with discouragement. It had, I, I could maybe give you some ideas of it. It doesn't really matter. All I know is that I, in that moment, I repented. I said, that's me, Lord. I have partnered with discouragement, and that is so wrong and sinful that my eyes have not been on you and in that moment something shifted in me and I can tell you honestly that it has not it has been different from that moment on and I begin to realize the power of partnering with things and how much partnering with God how much it affects what we do and partnering with the enemy and how effective, how much that affects what happens in our life. And I can tell you, I'm so thankful to God that he has heard my prayers and that he answered and that he came and he moved on my behalf. And through this experience, I really begin to understand this whole idea of partnering with that which is not kingdom. And how easy it is and how open the doors are to us to partner with it. Um, And how much easier it is to look at what's happening around us and, and agree with that rather than what God's word is actually saying to us. So God opened my eyes to this. 
And I don't know if you understand this, but the scripture tells us that we're called to partner with Jesus. And taking on that which around us rather than that which is in us is so wrong. We need to not look at those things that are going on in your life around you. It's so easy. They're in your face and you're seeing it. But what God is wanting you to do is to partner with who is within you. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus lives within us. And we're called to partner with him. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 1.9. He said, God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. He has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You are invited into partnership with him. I want you to get an idea of this partnering. It's like tying your focus together with something. Can you see that? How you can partner with something. It's really about who or what you come into agreement with. You can partner with what you feel and see, or you can partner with the truth of the word of God. You continuously have a choice, and it's in your face day in and day out that discouragement wants to come and be a part of your life. And you can choose what you're going to believe and what you're going to receive and what you're going to partner with. And partnering with the wrong spirit is very destructive. And so the Lord took me into the word of God with two stories about men who partnered and, and how different their stories ended. And I'd like to share it with you this morning. I'd like you to see what happens when we partner with the word of God or we partner with what man or the enemy has said. So I'm going to share the story of King David. His story is found in... In 1 Samuel, he was probably um, maybe 15 or 16 years old, maybe when he got anointed to be king as a shepherd boy. I want you to know something. He was, it was at least 15 years later before he actually became king. That's a very long journey. For someone to speak over you something and for you to wait to see it come to completion. And he was a man that was in the waiting. You know, he... He literally served the reigning king faithfully. He did what was right. And he, he worked hard. He went to battle on the king's behalf. And people cheered him and they sang songs about how great he was. And in the king's saw, jealousy arose. And so David began a journey of being on the run. And this journey of being on the run wasn't only about him. The scripture tells us in chapter 22 that his mom and dad had to leave where they were and go into hiding as such. And all his siblings came. And so David found himself, and there's lots of stories in his journey. Okay? Lots of them. But in the midst of his journey, men began to gather around him. In verse 22 of 1 Samuel It says this, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and he had about 400 men. So here he is on his journey. He's not at home. He's not with his parents. He's not with his siblings. And he's on this journey with God, and he's running and he's hiding, and the king gets close many times. And, and finally, he gets weary of this 
over the years of hiding. He hides in the mountains. He hides in the caves. He's on the run. It's not an easy journey. And if you, if you want to hear David's heart, look at Psalms 42.9. This is in the midst of his journey. He says this, Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? And then verse 11, he says this, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. So after multiple run-ins with King Saul and being on the run for years, he goes to the Philistines to live with the king of Gath. And he lives in his land. And the king actually gives him a city called Ziglag. And in that city, he dwells with his 400 men. And in this time period, he's even married a couple women, um, Abigail and Hinneman. And so all these men have families and kids, and he does. And they're living in the Philistine land in in a place called Ziglag. Well, Philistines decide to go to war against the Israelites, and so they ask him to go to battle with them. So he and his 400 men get ready, They leave their families, and they go to be in battle. And when they get to where the battle is to take place, all the rest of the Philistines say, no way, we're not having that guy with us. He used to be an Israelite, and we're not going to have him send him home. And David is very discouraged, but he goes home. And you want to talk about the lowest of the low he faces when he gets back to Ziglag, because when he gets there, the city's been burned to the ground. Everything they owned, all their flocks, all their family members, everything they had is gone. Everything. The Bible tells us that the men wept until they had no more tears. And that's in Psalms, uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 4. It says, they li- have you ever been so frustrated and discouraged that you cried till you didn't have any tears left? And then, if it isn't bad enough that you get there and your wife and children, the people's children are gone and everything they own is gone. If that's not bad enough, look at what happens to David in Psalm, or I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. It says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. His own men spoke of stoning him because the souls of the people were so grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. And then it says this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord our God. See, David didn't partner with what was happening in his circumstances in that moment. He didn't say, I've served you faithfully, God, and this is what I get. He didn't say, um, this is ridiculous. All I've done is what is good and right, and look what I, where it's got me. He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, these men are right. He didn't say any of those things. He look, did not look at what was in front of him. He did not look at the burned city. He did not listen to the men that were with him. Instead, he Look to the one who is the Lord of all. He raised his eyes to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he said, he said, my hope is in you. 
Oh, my soul, my hope is in you, oh God. You are the rock of my, and my fortress. You are my high tower. You are the one that I press into. And it says that he, in that word strengthen, actually means he encouraged himself. So sometimes we have to stop and we have to encourage ourselves. We have to remind ourselves. Remind ourselves of all the things that God has done and who he is and how he wants to move on our behalf. And he cast aside discouragement. And he made a choice in that moment to focus on God. And that's our choice before us continuously. Are we going to look at where things are happening around us in our family? Sometimes family life is difficult. Or maybe it's in your town. Or maybe it's at your workplace and things are difficult. Or maybe it's in our nation. And you look around and you think, could it get any worse, God? Could it anything worse happen? And you just can get so discouraged with all that is happening because it seems like one more thing happens and one more things. And we can, in those moments, we can decide what are we going to partner with? Are we going to partner with what our eyes are seeing in the natural? Are we going to partner with what our eyes see in the spiritual of who he is and what he has called us to do and what he will be? In our lives. So he prays and he says, God, should I go after things? And the Lord says, yes. And they go after. And through interesting circumstances, they get back everything. Everything they lost, plus everything that the Amalekites had. Everything. So they not only took what was theirs, but they took what was the enemy's. And in that moment, they left and they went back to Ziglag and they had so much bounty that they were actually giving it to Israelite uh, towns around them. God met them so powerfully. What amazing turn of events. I truly believe this story would have been vastly different if they had partnered, if he had partnered with discouragement and he had listened to those in front of him. Instead of focusing on the one and only true God, who he knew had met him over and over. You see, it says that he spoke to his soul. And sometimes we have to speak to our soul and we have to say, soul, rise up and be who you're called to be. Spirit, rule over me. Spirit of the living God who lives within me, you rule over me. I don't want these feelings and, and, and I don't want to participate in what is around me. I want to participate with what you've spoken because the truth, the truth is what sets us free. And I want you to realize the power that was released in that moment when he made a decision to partner with him who is and was and ever will be rather than with what he saw. Because I'm telling you, it would have been real easy to join in. It looked bad. There was no hope. And yet, in his looking to him, everything changed and shifted. So the second story has a much different ending. It's a grievous ending. And it's found in Numbers 13, 25 to 33. And in this story, it really shows you how you, you, can encourage or discourage people with your words. 
You need to watch your words because people need to be encouraged, not discouraged. You need to guard what comes out of your mouth. You need to guard what you speak over yourself. If you don't know what you're partnering with, just listen to your words for a little while. Just listen to what you're speaking and see who you're partnering with and what's happening. I seriously, in the midst of that, I thought, I think maybe I'm really ill. I think something's wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me physically. I mean, I was trying to find answers. Even though I was asking God, I wasn't partnering with him for health and fullness. Just so many things were going on with me. And I'm so thankful, so thankful for the lessons I've learned in this journey. So... God had spoken over the Israelite nation for hundreds of years how he had given them a promised land. And finally the day had arrived. It was time to go into the promised land. And they sent 12 men to spy it out. And the 12 men went into the land and they checked it out. They checked out who lived there. Where the strongholds were. They looked at the, the crops and how they grew. They looked at the, uh, how well the cities were um, manned and how much protection they had around them. They looked at what fishing was available, what hunting was available. They checked out this land and they come back to the people, these 12 men, and they come back with a report. They explored for 40 days. And in verse 26, it says they reported to the whole community what they had seen and they showed them the fruit of what had taken from the land. And in verse 27, it says this. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent to us to explore. And it was indeed a bountiful country, flowing with milk and honey. And they, then they lifted up the produce that they had brought back, the grapes that were carried on poles because they were such huge clusters. And then they added this. But the people living there are powerful And their towns are large and fortified. And we even saw giants there. And then Caleb, in verse 30, he he tries to quiet him and he says, Let's go at once, for the Lord has certainly given us the ability to conquer this land. And then in verse 31, it says this, But the other men who explored the land with them disagreed, and they said, "We, We can't go up against them. They're stronger than us. And so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour everyone who goes to live there. And all the people we saw there were huge. We even saw giants. And we felt like grasshoppers next to them. They didn't partner Those men did not partner with what the word of the Lord is. The word of the Lord was this, that I have given you this land. Every place your foot will step on, that will be yours. This is for you. I've provided it for you. I'm making a way. I'm going with you. I'm going before you. I'm going to be your God, and you'll be my people, and I will give you this land. They didn't partner with that truth. They partnered with, their, with what their eyes could see. They could see huge giants in fortified lands. And they could see they, had, they partnered with fear. And they partnered with unbelief. 
They partnered with the wrong spirit, and it was very destructive. You see, discouragement's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And in this story, discouragement won the victory. The people lost what God had planned for them. They begin to, it says the people begin to weep. They all went to their tents and weeped, and they begin to say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Then they said this, it would be better for us if we were back in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt and die in Egypt. That's how bad partnering with the enemy can be. It can so deceive you that causes you to see things that are not even truth. And they refused to go into the promised land. And it didn't matter how much the other two men who said we can do it said. The people listened and they partnered with the ten spies. And in that, they lost everything. They ended up journeying for 40 years through the desert. 40 years wandering in a desert. And people died, and they didn't get the fruit and the, all the wonder of this new land. They lost it all in that moment in time. Do you see the power of partnering with discouragement? How devastating its results. And so their choices not only harmed themselves, but harmed all of those around them. And our choices, those things that we decide to partner with, they affect one another. When I was in that place of such discouragement that I didn't even see it, I was affecting my husband. You know, when you're not up, you're down. It's not good. Is it? (laughs) But God's grace. But God's grace. So I thought, so how... How do you keep from partnering with discouragement that the enemy throws your ways? So I came up with Ruth's four R's. You know, Ruth, R, Ruth. That's to help you remember. You'll never forget it, right? The four R's. Number one, you have to realize where you're at. You have to look at your circumstances and say, oh, okay, I've been partnering with the wrong spirit here. And you have to, you have to, Realize what you're dealing with. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, this is what Paul says. He says, we don't look at the troubles we can see. (laughs) I love that. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Don't you love that? For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So that's really easy, isn't it? You have to realize where you're at. And you have to stop looking at where you're at. And number two, the second R, is repent. And basically, it means to think differently. Repenting, that's what repenting is, thinking differently, changing your viewpoint. It's about how we look at the circumstances around us and and consider how much honor and authority we give the circumstances around us. Have you ever thought about that? How much authority you, you hand off to the circumstances So we have to to repent. It means to turn away, abandon discouragement. And turn your heart and affections to he who is the Lord over you and your circumstances. And when we live in discouragement, it's really easy to make it all about that. And it becomes almost like an idol to us. 
all of what we're living in, what we see, but it couldn't get worse, and it's this, and they always do this, and every time I go there, and this, and, and it's happening, and this is happening, and I can't deal with it. We, we look at it, and we begin to make it like an idol, and we need to repent from that. Those things that consume our thoughts that are not godly and, and, and kingdom-wise. Sometimes we esteem and hold close things that are not pleasing to God. And that is sin. And we need to repent from partnering with discouragement. So we have to realize it. Then we have to repent. The third R is we have to refocus. You need to adjust your focus. Take it off of what is in front of you. And put it on Jesus. In Hebrews, it tells us this, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. That's what we have to do is keep our eyes on Jesus. Church, in this day, in this hour, in this nation, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. If you take your eyes off of Jesus and start looking around you, it will sink you. And so you have to keep your focus on who he is and what he has said and what he has said he will do. We have to refocus and keep our thoughts on him. It's an interesting idea. This is truth. Where your eyes are focused, your heart will follow. Where your eyes are focused, your heart will follow. Philippians 4 says, 4 8 says this, brethren, this final thing fix your thoughts on what is true. Is what you're thinking about true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure and lovely and admirable? Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's where our thoughts need to be on those kind of things. We have to stop and say, I'm, I refuse to dwell on this. This is where I'm going to put my attention. I refuse to think about this. I'm going to think about him and what he is able to do. Because the word says that he makes a way where there is no way. Right? And he does things that we can't see. He's working where we can't see him. And we have to remind ourselves of that. And so the last R. Remember, we have realize, repent, refocus. And the last one is remember. I found it fascinating that Becca stood up in prayer and is reminding you. To remember all the things that God has done. We have to remember God's faithfulness, that it floods our hearts, giving us life and hope. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's done for Lighthouse Church. Remember all the ways he's worked in the lives of his people. Over and over and over again, we have to remind ourselves. Remember the men and women of the Bible and all the ways that God heard and answered them. And there's a verse that I would encourage you to write down. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. And then listen to this. It says, but watch out. It means you've got to be alert. You've got to be careful what you're thinking and, and watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. All the things that he's done for you. If you can't remember the things he's done for you, let me tell you some of them. He saved you. He delivered you. He healed you. And do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. 
All the things that he's done. Remember how he gave us this building. Remember how he gave us the roof. Remember how he's healed people in our services. Remember how Becca was healed one month ago. Remember all the things he does. There is such power in partnering. Real power. In fact, I don't even think I have begun to tap into the understanding of how much power is in partnering. It's easy to just agree with what is happening around you. It really is. Really easy. Really easy. And it takes courage to stand and say, no, I'm not going to partner with that. I'm going to partner with what God has spoken over my life. So I stand here you this morning and I remind you that God has spoken things over my life. And he has said things that we have not seen in this house. He has said he's going to do things that we have not seen. And it would be easy to say, oh, the year has passed. This year has passed. And I have not seen it. Oh, it must not be true. That is a lie. We have to believe what God has spoken over us. David was anointed king. And it was at least 15 years before he actually was installed into position as king. That's a long time. That's a long time. We, we live in this time with discouragement on every side. And it's meant to distract you. It's meant to get you off course and to keep you from the prize. It's meant to disturb your relationship with God and with other people. And in short, it's just meant to steal, kill, and destroy you. It's meant to kill all your hopes and dreams. And it's time that we actually realize who we are dealing with. Repent. Refocus and then remember who we serve and how he works in our lives continuously. It's time to cast off discouragement and it's time to be free. For that's the heart of the Father for you this morning. So as an act of agreeing with what God is trying to speak to you, I would like you to stand and I would like you to read the key verse again with me. This is God's heart for you to remember. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. He is your hope, church. He is your hope. So I encourage you this morning... To give him all the places you don't understand. Give him all those unanswered questions. Give him the longings of your heart. Let us be Davids that go and say, Soul, you are my, I will cry out to the Lord, He is my rock. He's my hope. And I refuse to partner with anything less than that. Now I ask, Lord, that you would speak to them so simply. God, speak to them. 
I ask for a new courage to come upon us, the people of God, and that we would have eyes that see what's actually happening around us and that we would choose to partner with the living God. God, as a group, we just confess how many times we look at things other than you. Please forgive us. God, we turn this morning our affections back to you. And we remember, we remember, God, how great you are and how nothing is impossible with you. And we expect the fulfillment of all that you've spoken over us and all you've spoken in your word. And we give you praise and glory and honor because you are so worthy. Jesus' name, if you're really battling discouragement this morning in any way, there'll be a team of people here that would love to pray with you. Pastor Mike, would you come and close the service? I was reading this psalm. I started read part of this psalm this morning at the opening. Psalm 27. This is a psalm that David wrote just before he was anointed king. And it was at the end of the battle with Saul and all of that. But at the end of that chapter, he says, here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined with one, as one with the Lord. Be brave. Be courageous. And never, never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting, for he will never disappoint you. Yes, I believe this with all my heart, that I will see again your goodness in the land of the living. Amen. Amen. Put your hand in your heart this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in the grace of the Lord today.